Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ruth. We're in Ruth chapter 3 this week. We're continuing in our Advent series. And uh, we've been seeing how the book of Ruth, even though it's in the Old Testament, is really a Christmas story. And uh, you might wonder, well, how in, the, how in the world could that be? How could an Old Testament book have anything to do with Christmas? Well, in week one, we looked at chapter one. We saw how the book of Ruth is the story of a young woman who made a radical commitment of faith to God, and then she journeyed to Bethlehem, where she gave birth to a child who had changed the world. And you go, that's Ruth. That sounds like Christmas. Well, it's both. It's this book of Ruth. It's the Christmas story. And then last week, chapter 2, we saw how the book of Ruth is also the story of a righteous man who offered kindness, protection, and provision to a young woman in her time of need. And you go, well, that's Boaz, but that also sounds like Joseph in the Christmas story. And it is. They're reflected in both. Well, this week, it gets even better. Uh, Because this week, we learn that the book of Ruth is the story of a kinsman redeemer who redeemed his beloved from a desperate situation at great cost to himself. That's the book of Ruth. But you know what? That is definitely a description of the Christmas story as well. So we're going to look at these parallels together this morning. But to get us started, I'm just going to read from Ruth chapter 3, verse 9. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we uh, look at this marvelous chapter uh, in the book of Ruth this morning, I pray, Lord, that we would not only be touched uh, by what happened back then, but we will see how it parallels what you did for us at Christmas. Open our eyes to uh, see great things in your word. Open our hearts to receive them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, we're in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth, and by now we've met all three of the main characters in the book of Ruth, right? First, we met Naomi. Uh, Naomi left Bethlehem, and she moved to Moab with her husband and two sons. And then secondly, we, we met Ruth. Uh, Ruth was from Moab. She married one of Naomi's sons uh, after Naomi's husband died. And then after both of Naomi's sons died, Ruth and Naomi, they traveled back to Bethlehem. And that's where we met Boaz, our our third main character in the story. Uh, We saw this last week. It was harvest time, and Ruth went out to glean in the fields and and just happened, right? No, it didn't just happen. God was in it. Just happened to glean in the fields of Boaz. And as we said last week, the book of Ruth is really, it's a love story. It's a beautiful love story. And God, in His providence, orchestrated events so that Boaz and Ruth would meet. And we saw last week how Boaz offered kindness and protection and provision to Ruth while she harvested in his fields. And so chapter 2 ends on a a real happy note, right? Boy meets girl. Girl meets boy. It's wonderful. Everything's great until you get to the last sentence. Uh, The last sentence verse of chapter 2. A happy ending to chapter 2 would read like this. Boaz and Ruth, they met, they got married, and they lived happily ever after. Right? Isn't that the way a love story is supposed to end? Right? 
Instead, this is what we get for our final sentence in chapter 2. And she, Ruth, lived with her mother-in-law. It doesn't quite have the same ring, does it, right? It's like, that's not how the story's supposed to end. Doesn't the guy get the girl? What kind of a happy ending is that? Well, as with most love stories, there's some twists and turns along the way before you get to that truly happy ending, right? It's never a straight path. There are always some obstacles along the way. And the big obstacle right now is that the harvest season has ended and Ruth and Boaz, they never got together. It never happened. And so chapter 2 ends with Ruth living with her mother-in-law instead of married to Boaz. Folks, we are going to need a major plot twist if Ruth and Boaz are ever going to get together. And that's exactly what we get in chapter 3. We get this big, daring, bold, breathtaking plot twist that no one could ever have seen coming. So let's jump into chapter 3 together. There's an outline in your worship guide. I'd encourage you to take that out to help follow along with the message. As chapter 3 begins, we learn that Ruth and Naomi are in a desperate situation. A desperate situation. God's provided food for them, right? At least for right now. So they're grateful for that. But their real great need is for Ruth to marry. Because you see, unless Ruth marries, the two of them will always be in a precarious position. In addition, neither of them have any children. They don't have any children to carry on the family line. Desperate situations call for desperate measures. And Naomi comes up with a plan that is so shocking that it only serves to highlight how desperate their situation really was. So we're in Ruth chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. So this is Naomi's plan, okay? She is going to send Ruth to Boaz all alone in the middle of the night to lie down at his feet and then suffer whatever the consequences. Folks, this is a desperate plan. This is a reckless plan. This is a scandalous plan. Kids, don't try this at home, okay? You know, Naomi's situation is so desperate, she is willing to risk everything in hopes that Ruth and Boaz might finally come together as husband and wife, because Boaz is a kinsman. That is, he is a close 
relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And so there's this long shot that he may be willing to fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. You might remember last week when Ruth first told Naomi about Boaz. That's the first thing Naomi thought of. She said, he's our close relative. He's one of our kinsman redeemers. Well, what was a kinsman redeemer? The kinsman redeemer was a close relative who was responsible to help a family member out in their time of need. For example, if a family became poor and had to sell off their land, the kinsman redeemer was supposed to buy that land back for them. The kinsman redeemer was also responsible to buy back any family members sold into slavery. They were responsible to avenge the killing of a close relative. And then there was the special case of a widow who had no children. And in this case, the man's brother was supposed to marry the widow, and the first son that she bore to him would carry on the name, not his name, but the name of the dead brother, so that his name would not be blotted out from Israel. Naomi is hoping that Boaz, even though he's not a brother, he's just a close relative, she's hoping that Boaz will fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer by marrying Ruth, so that their family name will continue. So she has Ruth prepare herself as a bride. Ruth washes herself and perfumes herself. She she puts on her best clothes. Uh, She leaves for the threshing floor. Let's pick up the story now uh, in verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. So it's after a long day of harvesting and a good hearty meal, Boaz finally sits down for the night and uh, lies down right on the threshing floor. He's probably there to, to, to guard things, make sure no robbers come in the middle of the night and take the grain. Ruth waits until he's asleep, and then quietly, oh so quietly, she slips over there. She uncovers his feet. She lies down. And she waits. Sometime in the middle of the night, something startles Boaz. He, he wakes up. Maybe the, maybe the chill of the night hits those uncovered feet, right? And then he's really startled because he looks down. There's a woman there lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since You are a kinsman redeemer. To spread the corner of your garment over a woman in those days was a pledge of marriage. In fact, this custom is still practiced in parts of the Middle East even today. Spreading the the corner of your garment, a pledge of marriage. So Ruth, first she identifies herself, and then she boldly, Asks Boaz, will you fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer? Will you spread the corner of your garment over me with the promise and protection of marriage? Now, you've got to understand, Ruth is in an extremely vulnerable position here. And Boaz could respond in any number of ways. If he were a wicked man, he could... could Rape her right then and there on the threshing floor. 
if he were a dishonorable man. He might take advantage of her, claiming that Ruth had seduced him in the middle of the night. If he were a vengeful man, there were other harvesters sleeping nearby. He could cry out in a loud voice and expose Ruth to public disgrace and severe punishment. You see, Ruth and Naomi were in a desperate situation, and so Ruth, she risks everything here. And by visiting Boaz in the middle of the night and proposing marriage, she has thrown herself completely upon the mercy of Boaz and his good character. So how does Boaz respond to all this? Well, fortunately, Boaz is a good man, right? And this is a love story. And so Boaz responds with mercy, righteousness, and love. Look at verses 10 through 13 now. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Boaz understands the risk that Ruth has taken by coming to him in the middle of the night. He's touched, right? He's touched that that she would seek him as a husband instead of one of the younger men. And yet it's clear Boaz wants, uh, Ruth wants Boaz. Now, one of the younger men might make a good husband for her, but that's not going to help Naomi. Ruth is all about helping Naomi. If if, if Ruth just marries anybody, uh, then, then the the, the, the land doesn't transfer. They would not be a kinsman redeemer to carry in Naomi's line. And so Boaz, moved by Ruth's kindness, speaks kindly to her and promises her. He says, I will do all that you've asked. But, right, just one hitch, right? It's always something, right? One hitch. There's another guy. There's always another guy, right? There's another kinsman redeemer who is a nearer relative than Boaz. And this other man, he has the first right of redemption. And so Boaz will need to approach him first. Boaz, ever protecting, does not want Ruth wandering home in the middle of the night. So he says, wait till morning. We'll be safe. Picking up verse 14. She laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. So when morning arrives, Boaz continues to just shower Ruth with love and protection. He makes her, you know, get, get up before anyone recognizes you. and instructs any workers around, don't let it be known that, uh, that she was here. He gives her six measures of barley, more food to bring back to Naomi as a token of good faith. And Naomi, poor Naomi, we forgot about her. What's she been doing all night? Probably not sleeping, right? I'm sure she was up all night just praying and wondering what's going on, what's happening. And when Ruth returns, Naomi immediately asks her, how did it go? How did it go, my daughter? And then Ruth told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley. 
saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for that man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi left Bethlehem full, and she came back empty. But now God, through Boaz, is assuring her that she will not remain empty. Naomi and Ruth risked everything in going to Boaz. But Boaz's loving response was the exact answer they needed for their desperate situation. And now we arrive to chapter 4, just the beginning verses, and the redemption of Ruth and Naomi. And it's here that we learn the cost involved in all of this. Because this was a costly redemption. This was a redemption that would involve great sacrifice on Boaz's part. And this is evident by the reaction of the other guy, right? The other kinsman redeemer who is nearer than Boaz. So picking up now in chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. So Boaz meets the other kinsman redeemers at the town gate with ten of the town's elders. And, you know, the town gate, that, this is where legal transactions took place. Sort of like City Hall today, right? This is where a lot of transactions take place. The elders, they're there to serve as legal witnesses. Boaz tells the kinsman redeemer, hey, Naomi's selling her land. If you want it, you better buy it right now, because if not, I'm next in line. Notice Boaz doesn't say anything about Ruth yet. Okay, being a little sneaky here, okay? Using some wisdom, uh, because the land is not the main point. Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but first he needs to establish before the elders that if the nearer relative will not fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer, Boaz will. So he just mentions the land first, and kinsman redeemer's thinking, I like land. I don't mind getting some more land. Sure, I'll buy the land. I'll redeem it. Not so fast, says Boaz. Look at the next verses. Then Boaz said, oh, on the day you buy the land from Naomi... And from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And so Boaz, he just drops a bomb on the proceedings, right? Here's here's what's going on. When Naomi's husband died, right? The property goes where? Passes on to her two sons. Ruth was married to one of Naomi's sons. 
And so if the man really wants to fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer, if he's going to take the property, he will also have to marry Ruth, the Moabitess. And notice, once again, sneaky, Boaz stresses the fact that Ruth is from where? The hated country of Moab. And so that's a different matter entirely. This man does not want to marry a woman from Moab. And not only that, if he marries Ruth, he will be endangering his entire estate. Because here's what could happen. If Ruth bears a son, that son will be reckoned to Naomi's family. And then if something were, happened to, were to happen to this man's own sons, what was going to happen? His entire estate would be transferred to Naomi's family. This is a costly redemption. And he is not willing to to pay the price. He says, Boaz, you do it. I, I can't do that. And then the next verse, we, we get just kind of this little interesting sideline about a legal custom of the day. It's in parentheses in the text. Now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Folks, the moment he removed that sandal, he forfeited his right as the kinsman redeemer. He forfeited his rights, and those rights immediately passed on to Boaz, and Boaz wastes no time in claiming them. Look at the next verses. Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian and Malon, those were the two sons. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess. He's not ashamed of that. I've acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. It was a costly redemption, so costly that the other kinsman redeemer backed out of the deal. But Boaz loved Ruth. It didn't matter to him. He was willing to pay the price. Remember, the book of Ruth is a love story. It's the story of a kinsman redeemer who redeemed his beloved from a desperate situation at great cost to himself. Now let's go back to the Christmas story. The Christmas story is also what? It's a love story. And wouldn't you know it, it is also the story of a kinsman redeemer who redeemed his beloved from a desperate situation at great cost to himself. We are the beloved in the Christmas story. And our desperate situation is described for us in the book of Galatians chapter 3. The scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. We were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. We were prisoners of sin. We were held prisoners by the law. We were lost in our sins, cut off from God, deserving of eternal punishment. We were desperate, and we were in desperate need of a Savior. And how did God respond to our desperate situation? Galatians 4 tells us, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, 
to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God's loving response was what we celebrate at Christmas. God sent His Son. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born into our world as a tiny baby. He became like us in our flesh. He became kin with us. He is closer than a brother. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Jesus became our kinsman redeemer, and it was a costly redemption. We read in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And just as Boaz did not serve himself, but served Ruth and Naomi, so Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And it cost Jesus dearly, far more than it ever cost Boaz. The the other kinsman redeemer, he, he was worried about endangering his estate. Jesus willingly left his estate. Jesus left the glories of heaven. He entered our world as a human being. He was forsaken by the Father. He gave His own life as a ransom for many. It was a costly redemption. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, but His redemption is not automatic. You need to come to Christ yourself for salvation. Just as Ruth recognized her own desperate situation and and she cast herself completely on Boaz's mercy, righteousness, and love, so you also need to recognize your desperate situation, your sin, and you need to cast yourself completely on God's mercy, righteousness, and love. And just as Boaz responded lovingly to Ruth, and he did not cast her away. We have this precious promise from Jesus in the Gospel of John. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. There's an old song that goes like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Christmas is the story of a kinsman Redeemer, who redeemed his beloved from a desperate situation at great cost to himself. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay.
Let us pray. Well, Father, we thank you for this beautiful story in the book of Ruth. Lord, it would be a beautiful story if it, if, if it was just an Old Testament story and that was it. If it was just the story of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, it's so beautiful in and of itself. But Lord, it takes on such deeper meaning when we see the parallels with the Christmas story and your great love for us. Lord, we were in a desperate situation and we did a bold and daring thing. We came as sinners before a holy God saying, I will put my faith in Jesus. And Jesus, you received us. You welcomed us. You brought us into your family. You are closer than a brother. You are our kinsman redeemer. And we are forever grateful and in your debt. We thank you. We love you. We praise you this Christmas season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.